church can be dismissed with Brother Trey and this morning. Brother Trey will be teaching them. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we ask right now that our glory would be in you. Specifically, dear Lord, we ask that we would glory in Jesus, the cross of Jesus, and the resurrecting power of Jesus. Lord, I ask right now that we don't glory in our intellect. We don't glory in our jobs. We don't glory in our appearance. Lord, help us to not glory in our kids' sporting events. Lord, help us to not glory in our families. Lord, help us in this place, at the cross of Christ, help us, Father God, to only glory in your Son. And Lord, I ask that his name and his purpose and his majesty and his greatness and his saving power, Father God, we ask will be very clear to each and every person in this room. And Lord, we pray today that if there is one that is far from Jesus in sin or one that has never known the saving power of Jesus, that today they would know that it is real. Father God, we ask that you would move through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. And the congregation said together, Amen. There was an elderly couple that had been living in a nursing home for a number of years. Uh, this elderly couple had been married for 40 years. I'm sorry, make that 60 years they had been married. Their relationship was strained though. Constant arguments, constant disagreements, constant shouting contest. The fights did not stop when the elderly couple moved into the nursing home where they now resided. They argued and squabbled from the time they got up in the nursing home until the time they fell in bed at night. It got so bad that the nursing home supervisor confronted the couple one day and told them that they had received their last warning. If they did not cease to fight, there would be no choice but to make the couple leave. Even then... With the threat of being thrown out of the nursing home, the couple could not agree on what to do. They fought and they argued and they argued. Finally, the wife looked at her husband and said, i tell you what, Joe, let's pray that one of us dies. After the funeral is over, I'll go live with my sister. Strife, troubles, tribulations. Some trouble we bring on ourselves. Some trouble is the price that is paid in the world, that people pay in it for the penalty of sin uh, that plagues all of creation. So some trouble we face is just the lot of this world uh, that has been marred uh, deeply by the effect of sin. Some of it is sin from within us and conflict that we bring upon ourselves. Sometimes as believers, some of the strife and opposition that we face comes from those who oppose the gospel. And so we face tribulation and strife in some instances, not because uh, a person really is after us, but we are the target because we represent, as a Christian, we represent the living God. We, we represent Jesus Christ. We are his ambassador on this earth. So there are all types of tribulations. 
The Bible states, and I want you to listen very closely to this. This is our key verse to today. We'll read a chapter in a moment, but listen to this verse. Acts 14.22 states this, We must enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. We must enter. How do we enter into the kingdom of God? And we are told in the Bible we must enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. Now why does the Bible say that? Why did Paul and Barnabas preach that and proclaim that? Well, turn to Acts chapter 14 and let's look together this morning at some of the strife and tribulation that we will face as believers in this life. And uh, this morning you're going to see that this strife, this tribulation, is not like the elderly couple that just bickered and bickered and bickered. This is strife and tribulation that comes uh, because we indeed are representatives of Jesus. So Acts chapter 14, let's read together this morning. The Bible says it came to pass in Iconium that they went together into the synagogue of the Jews. So Paul and Barnabas are continuing to preach the gospel, and they do what they typically do. They go to the synagogue, and they spoke, uh, they say they spoke, and a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, the Gentiles that were God-fearers, believed. Both Jews and Gentiles believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. Now that's interesting. The believing Jews go to the Gentile believers, to the Greeks, and they, they stir them up. And they made their minds evil, affected. They, they draw their minds toward evil against the brethren. Now, in spite of this strife going on, it says, verse 3, Long time, therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord. So there's all this controversy starting to swell. But Paul and Barnabas are staying, and they are continuing to preach the word of God. Verse 3, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, and they were granted, what were they able to do? Signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided. Part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. So the apostles, we know, they're, they're Jews as well. Uh, so here we have this Jewish leadership, I think, again, that is stirring things up. And here you have this other set of Jews, the apostles, who are followers of the Messiah. And they're bringing Gentiles into the faith. And so there is a division. Verse 5, when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. So they go to the rulers, they say they're causing this division, they're creating these problems, and they stir them up and they're going to stone them. But Paul and Barnabas, it says, verse 6, were aware of it. And so they leave Iconium and they went uh, to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia in the region that lies round about. And there they preached the gospel. Now, they don't always flee, they don't always leave, they don't always escape. But in this case, they've been there a long time, and they decide it's time to go. And they leave. They leave. And they get to this new place, and what do they do when they get there? They preach the gospel. Now, there sat a certain man at Lystra, uh, impotent in the, in, in the feet. He's impotent in his feet. He can't, he can't walk. He doesn't have any strength. He was a crippled from his mother's womb who, had, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak. And he steadfastly beheld him and perceived that he had faith to be healed. And so Paul says to this guy with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leapt up and he walked. 
And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of the Lyconia, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So they see a miracle, and drawing upon their uh, false knowledge, they say, these men are gods. The gods have come down among us. Now I did a little research. And right around this city, there was a legend that uh, gods had come before, that a couple of gods had come before and performed miracles. And so when this occurs, they believe that the gods have returned. Verse 12, they called Barnabas Jupiter, uh, that's the Roman name for Zeus, and they called, Maul, uh, they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul uh, Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. So that's the, the messenger god. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before the city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates, and they would have done sacrifice with the people. So the, the, the priest of uh, Jupiter and, and the pagan system, they want to make sacrifices unto Paul and Barnabas. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they rent their clothes. They tore their clothes in protest, and they ran in among the people. They have to stop this. They ran in among the people, and they cried out and said, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of like passions with you. We're just men, but we preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities, these very things you should turn from unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. The living God who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own way. Nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So he says, we have walked in ignorance. You have walked in ignorance. But even in your ignorance that God has allowed, there's been a witness to the true God. And it is power from the heavens. It is the power of the rains and the thunder and the lightning and the, the very fruit that, that grows in the ground. He goes, these give witness that there is a true God, a creator God. Verse 18, with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people, that they had not done sacrifice unto them. They stopped them from this sacrifice. Then there came certain Jews from Antioch. So the Christian mission is growing. The gospel is spreading. And word is reached where they have traveled to. And so Jews come from Antioch and Iconium, and they persuaded the people, and they had Paul stoned, having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. So you can imagine the turmoil when Paul and Barnabas refused this sacrifice. They refused to participate in this. They tell them, in fact, you must turn from these things and turn to the living God. It's not enough to see the miracle of this man raised who had faith, right? You can look at a miracle and say, wow, that's awesome, but that's not where it has to end Miracles are only signs to point us to God's power and to lead us to true worship. It does no good to see miracles and see signs and see wonders if it does not lead us to true worship of the God who allows these miracles to be done. And so uh, they get stirred up and they stone Paul. Now it's interesting, he, he escapes one time, but the next time it is in the will and purposes of God that he goes through this stoning. He's thrown out of the city. They thought he was dead. Verse 20, albeit as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came to the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, 
confirming the souls of the disciples, they go back. They go back to where the believers are and they go to confirm and lift them up, exhorting them, verse 22, to continue in the faith. And here we go. And and teaching them what? That we must through much tribulation enter in to the kingdom of God. Now, if you want to be part of God's kingdom, say amen. So we need to pay attention to this today. Then they ordained elders in every church. They prayed, fasting. They commanded them to the Lord on whom they had believed. And then they pass on to some more cities. They go, they go back to Antioch. You can see how important Antioch is. They're going back to it again. From where they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work they fulfilled. Verse 27, and when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed or they told all that God had done with them. And I had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. We must through tribulation. We must through tribulation enter in to the kingdom of God. Here this morning we see three key locations. Iconium, Lystra, Derby, And these men, these preachers, Paul and Barnabas, go. But as they go, they face tribulations. And this morning, if the Bible teaches us that we too must go through tribulation to enter into the kingdom of God, I want to identify three of the tribulations that we see from this text that we as believers uh, should expect. Now, this doesn't mean that every believer will face every tribulation. But these are tribulations that are common to believers and have been uh, since the message of Jesus was first preached. Tribulation number one came in Iconium. Again, there in Paul and Barnabas, they go to the local synagogue first. The response to their message was positive among both Jews and Gentiles. But soon the unbelieving Jews begin opposing the followers of Jesus. Paul and Barnabas keep speaking boldly, performing signs and wonders, but eventually the slander against them, because that's what's occurring, this slander against them grows fierce. Look at verse 2. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. They made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. They are slandering, they are speaking ill against these men to try to stop what God is doing. Slander. Look at this quote from Socrates. If we can, can we get the Socrates quote up there? When the debate is lost, slander becomes the tool of the loser. Now, Socrates is not a biblical guy, but that's, that's a good statement. When the debate, when the discussion is lost, and if it's an intense debate, an intense disagreement, slander becomes the tool of the loser. We see that playing out here. We see that the message is spreading. We see that people are coming to faith. And so how can they stop this? They cannot stop God. They cannot stop his power. So what they must do is slander those that are preaching the word. In this life, those of us who are believers will face the tribulation of slander. The Bible teaches that God hates slander. And if if God hates it, if it's something God hates, we should not be surprised then that it is a tool that is used so often and so effectively by the devil against the Lord's people. Psalm 101.5, listen to this, this is a strong statement. Psalm 101.5 states, this is God speaking here, whoever privately slanders his neighbor. Did you hear about Joan? Did you hear why Jeff lost his job? 
Did you, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? Psalm 101.5 says, Whoever privately slanders his neighbor, saying something untrue about them to somebody else. Whoever privately slanders his neighbor, God says, Him or her will I cut off. That's declarative. You slander your neighbor, you do not belong to me because God is a God of truth, not a God of lies. Boy, if this world would be better if we all watched our mouths and watched what we said, say amen. Now, this doesn't matter whether it's in conversation one to another person. Uh, it doesn't matter if, 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 and this happens in church sometimes, uh, we really got to pray for brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, and that's just the reason to get the information out there. It doesn't matter if you're typing away online about stuff you really don't know anything or making comments about people you don't know anything about, and you misstate the truth. The Word of God says a slanderer is cut off from him because God hates lies. The Apostle John was slandered against in the days of the early church. 1 John 3 tells us that there rose up one named Diotrephes who loved preeminence. He loved to be thought of as the best in first place. And one of his methods to gain preeminence was to speak evil against the Apostle John. To speak evil against the beloved Apostle. So you have John who's a great leader in the church who knew Jesus and yet this one rises up and he can't undermine John's experience because they don't have the experience John had. John walked with Jesus. They don't have the knowledge John had. John sat at Jesus' feet. But there's one thing Diotrephes can do. He can begin to slander John. He can begin to, to plant seeds of doubt in people's mind. Malicious words is what John teaches Diotrephes used against him. The tribulation of slander. Sometimes slander is born of revenge, as when Joseph in the Old Testament was slandered at the house of Potiphar. Sometimes slander comes out of pride and hatred and the innate selfishness of human nature. Sometimes slander appears as a dreadful trait without any reason at all. There was no reason to make that comment. There was no reason to say uh, that negative thing about that person that really you didn't know if it was true or not. There's no reason at all except the depravity of human nature. Slander is an injury that is hard to undo. That is why God makes it so clear that if you do this, you are cut off from Him. Uh, when we speak words about people uh, and say things, uh, once they're out there, they're out there. Now, obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a Baptist preacher. I'm, uh, I'm not Catholic, but I heard an illustration that about a... About a a Catholic priest that I thought was pretty good. There was this young Catholic guy named Joey, and uh, Joey had said some things that were untrue uh, about another boy in his village. And he went to his priest, and he told him, he said, hey, I have said these things, and they actually turned out not to be true, and I want to know, what, what do I need to do to make it right? And his priest told him, said, well, go out and get a bag and fill it full of feathers. Fill it full of feathers. And then go to every single house in our village uh, and lay a feather at the doorstep. And when you do that, come back. And so Joey, he felt bad about what he'd said that wasn't true. And he got his sack and got his feathers and went and laid a feather at the doorstep of every house in the village. He went back to see his priest. And he said to him, I've done the penance. I've done uh, what you've told me to do. 
And the priest said, oh, no, 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 you're not done yet. Now go back and pick up every feather that you laid down. So he looked at him and said, I can't do that. Feathers are light and the wind's been blowing and probably every feather has blown away from the house where it was laid. The priest looked at him and he said, so it is with slander from one mouth to another. And before you can do anything about it, it is spread and spread and spread and spread. So my friends today, we are the typical church in America. We are the typical uh, people that, that wrestle with the old flesh, the old man. I do not doubt for a minute that there are people in this service today that you need to repent and ask God to forgive you for slandering or speaking things about others that may or may not be true that left your lips and has now affected or changed how other people see them. God says, I hate slander. And if you do this, you will be cut off. The Bible says we must enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. As believers, it should not surprise or shock us when others slander us because they slandered the Lord Jesus Christ, so surely they will slander his disciples. So the first tribulation that they go through that we still see today is the tribulation of slander against believers. Look at the second tribulation. Look at verse 19, the second tribulation. There came there certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. They stoned Paul, and then they drew him out. They drug him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. One tribulation that the church goes through is the tribulation of slander. Another tribulation is the tribulation of violence. In Lystra, Paul heals a man crippled from birth. Can you imagine the joy? I mean, can you imagine uh, what would happen if we saw one lame from birth that was born into our church? A member of our church that was born as a child that could not walk and grew and grew and became a man. And then one day a preacher was preaching and the faith was such of the, of the hearer and the one proclaiming the word and the power of God manifests itself in such a mighty way. And one that you'd known your whole life all of a sudden could walk. I mean, that would be unreal. And here this is what happens to them. This is no phony fake thing. They know this guy. They know his story. And the power of God manifests itself in a miraculous way. By the way, Paul had been through his very conversion that happened to him in Damascus. It was a conversion of, of pain that he experienced because of his rebellion from God. And the level of faith that Paul has, it, is, it becomes clear in the book of Acts, is just unreal. But he also goes through great struggle and great trial. Uh, this is not a man on a podium. This is not like the faith healers of today who live in mansions and drive fancy cars and are removed from the everyday struggles of people. No, this is a man himself who knew what it was like to be afflicted by God. And the Bible tells us that God chose with his affliction to not take it away. Now, I don't know, but I wonder sometimes, is that part of what helped his faith develop? That when he preached to those that were in bondage to affliction because of his own affliction, he knew what they felt. He knew their struggle. He knew their trouble. And he knew what Jesus could do for them. I don't know, but I, I wonder that sometimes. But here this one is healed. And you would think there would be shouting and excitement. And at first there is over the miracle. But then violence. And we will see the violence in the book of Acts increase 
Because it seems the more wondrous the work of God, the more the opposition rages against it. Violence is not just an early church thing. The book of Revelation paints a picture of violence against Christ followers uh, in the age to come. In the beginning, Christian faith is filled with the tribulation of violence. The ending is filled with violence, and so are the in-between stages. Look at Marco and Mina. Look at Marco and Mina, two Egyptian Christians. During Ramadan last year, Marco and Mina, by the way, Ramadan starts May 15th. I'm, I'm pretty sure that means we're still in the midst of it. That is the Muslim holy year. It's one of the most dangerous times to be a Christian in the Middle East and some other countries where Muslims control the government. During Ramadan last year, Marco and Mina, two boys from Egypt, watched as their father, so just last year, this time, believers in Egypt, they watched as faithful believers were killed because of their faith in Christ. The boys were on a bus, a bus of Christians, when their father, he was a security guard on this bus, was given the ultimatum, deny Jesus or die. Mina tells the story. They got on the bus, these, these Muslim terrorists in Egypt, and they forced their father to get out first. He was the guard there on the bus. The terrorists shouted that he had to convert to Islam. But their father said no, and they shot him on the spot. Marco and Mina's lives were miraculously spared. But that terrifying event in their life plays out in their minds on a daily basis. Marco recalls his last moments with his father. Can you imagine this? So when Marco says, my father was still breathing, but he could not talk anymore. But he wiggled his fingers, trying to sign for them to go away to get to safety. And, and, and probably a father not wanting to see, them like, see him like this. But they did not want to leave him there. They would not leave him there. This young boy, Marco, says, I put my father up on my chest. Imagine a little boy trying to lift and hug his father up. Soon my clothes were soaked with blood, but I did not care. Now, this is a confession I'm ashamed to make. But if some of you need to confess, I need to too. We're in the middle of Ramadan, one of the most dangerous months in the year for Christians in this world. And I have not prayed one time for my brothers and sisters in the Middle East. If you are glad that when we forget the brothers and sisters, that Jesus does not say amen. Jesus has not forgotten Jesus has seen it all. Now, I don't know all the doctrine, I don't know all the beliefs, but I really believe this in my heart. I believe these folks, that when death comes, that they're just clinging to Jesus, and that's who they believe, and that's who they trust. I'm going to tell you, when my day comes, I'm sure I got some things wrong too, but I hope when the end comes, and I believe this in the Word of God, I know this, my faith, my trust, my righteousness is going to be in one place. It's going to be in Jesus. And all across this world, there is blood spilt by those who at the end of the day, what they know is they will not let go of Jesus. This violence is not stopping the kingdom of God, though. 
just the opposite is occurring. For as Paul and Barnabas taught, we must enter the kingdom of God through tribulation, the tribulation of believers. And we see this too in the Muslim world, just as we see these horrific acts that are occurring. We see these governments that so many times will turn the other way. They will allow these things to occur. In some cases, they engage in it themselves. But this cannot stop the gospel in India. Another place, in many places in India, very dangerous to be a Christian. But they cannot stop the gospel. Why? Because when people are willing to die for Jesus, they will not let go when given the option. It sends a message to people who have nothing to hold on to. Maybe, maybe just that is the truth that I have been looking and longing for. So my friends, while we play church in this world, there are believers that face the slander of opposition. They face the violence. But then there is the third tribulation. And I believe for many of us, this is the most dangerous one. Because it's, when somebody slanders us, we, we know that's wrong and it hurts us and it creates sometimes some righteous anger. Now the Bible says be careful about anger. Because righteous anger can quickly bleed into something else. But there is righteous anger when somebody says things that are not true about you or about the church or something else. To get upset about that is actually okay. I mean, that's something that's like, okay, now, now what you do with that, you better watch out. And you know, violence, when, when believers are threatened, uh, sometimes that gives a clear choice. And you kind of just see, all right, I, I'm, I'm going to trust the Lord and, and I'm going to stand and I'm going to be faithful. But this third one, I think, is at least in the Western church and certainly in America, it is one that is much more prevalent in our world. Look at verses 11 through 15, our last point today. Look at this. They've healed this boy. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices. It goes on down there and says, they cried out, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter Paul Mercury because he was the chief speaker. And then the priest of Jupiter, which was before the city for all, he brought out the oxen, the garlands, and the gates. And what do you want to do? He wanted to sacrifice with the people. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of like passions like you, and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God. These people were thankful for what Paul and Barnabas had done, but they wanted to give the glory due to God to men. That is called idolatry. Would you say that after me? Say idolatry. They wanted to give the glory due to God to men. As preachers of the gospel, as Christians that get to share the faith, as those who get to walk under the banner of Christ, we get to give and share and help others experience the gift of hope and victory that Jesus brings. But we need to be careful because sometimes people begin to give us glory and they begin to give us honor that belongs to God alone. Sometimes people, because they're appreciative, can move beyond biblical appreciation and they can begin to find uh, the meaning of their Christian experience with us instead of with Jesus. They begin to place us on another plane. Now, the Bible does say that there's a level of respect due to others, particularly those who have walked with the Lord a long time, and that the faithfulness is there. But that does not mean moving them onto a spiritual plane 
where glory that is due to God begins to go to men and women. There is finally the tribulation of idolatry. The tribulation of false worship. And when we are confronted with this, we must be faithful to Jesus and we must love Jesus and we must ask the Holy Spirit to help us when others begin to give us glory and honor because of our teaching ability or the fact that we helped them out when they were in trouble or the fact that we were a listening ear, the fact that we baptized them or introduced them to Jesus at VBS or church camp or whatever. When people do this, we need to be careful that we do not enter into a realm where they begin to think our word is the word of God. Instead, let our worship of Jesus be so infectious that they realize that it belongs to Christ alone. The Apostle John, who wrote the last book of the Bible, received a decisive revelation, and he quotes God in the beginning of Revelation as saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. Then in Revelation 22, at the end of the book, Jesus says He is the Alpha and Omega, again, the beginning and the end. Now, Alpha and Omega the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. In the alphabet, there is nothing before alpha. There is nothing, uh, there is nothing that comes before alpha in the Greek alphabet. And you cannot speak of anything after omega. Nothing before alpha. Nothing after omega. There is no after omega in the alphabet. So it is with Jesus. There is no before Jesus. There is no after Jesus. There is only Jesus. There was a time when you were not here. There was a time when I was not here. There will be a time if the Lord tarries again when you will not be on this earth. There is a time when I will not be on this earth. But with Jesus, he is absolutely and undeniably present in this universe in every age. Jesus is the absolute reality. He has the honor of always being the first. And to Jesus belongs the honor of always being the last. In Isaiah 44, 6, God says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. God said, I am the first and the last. Beside me there is no other God. This is what it means to be God. There is none other but you. This is the ultimate glory. There are pretenders. There are imitators. But there is only one Jesus. Only one Alpha. Only one Omega. Only one first. Only one last. Only one beginning. Only one end. And there is only one way to make it through your tribulations remaining in Jesus. Because when the tribulation fades, there is still Jesus. Still Jesus. So my friend, whether you are guilty of the sin of slander or somebody is slandering you, whether you have thought violence in your heart or whether others have thought violence against you in your heart and you wrestle with it, or whether you've just gotten a little too high on your holy horse, or if like your preacher you haven't been on your knees enough for those that are suffering for the cause of Christ around this globe, Whatever it is, there is forgiveness and there is a Savior and it is Jesus. So my friends, whatever you brought to this place, from the first to the last, bring it to Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Father God, I ask right now in this place, this suspended time, this time where the Word of God is entered into the hearts of men and women. Father God, I pray that the Word would do its work 
The Holy Spirit would do His work. So, Father God, you could get the glory. Lord, I pray today that a sinner who's been struggling with sin, that they would let go of the pew. That they would come today and they would be honest with God with their struggle with their sin. Father God, I pray today if there is one that is going through a tribulation that others have brought upon them. And Lord, they feel as if they have nowhere else to go. Lord, I pray they would come to the one place they can come. And that is to Jesus to pray and to seek and to listen. Lord, if there's one couple whose marriage is about to fall apart, let them come to Jesus. If there's one single person that's on the edge of falling into sin, Father God, let them come to Jesus. If there's one elderly person that is giving up hope, Lord, let them come to Jesus. Lord, use this time. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.